welcome to the 407th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. I'm still surviving despite not counting my protein grams. I'm going to let that go though. So this episode is about getting lost and I'm reading a book called Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why by Lawrence Gonzalez. I think a lot of the interesting finding in this book can be applied to nutrition and improving one's health. So I'm going to go into a few things that I can relate to. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. Who knows? Maybe I'll even have them on the podcast some of these days. Well, I have two weeks to our swim run in Austin, and due to Hurricane Ian, the county pools are closed. So it's going to be like two years ago when there was COVID. We're going to go into our swim run having very little swim practice. So I guess we're going to have to run good and um, swim easy so that our shoulders can can make it. We did it before on little swim practice. So uh, up until the hurricane, I had been doing pretty good with at least one swim a week. So we'll see. I have been practicing my pull-ups, so maybe that'll translate into good swimming form. I don't know. Inverted rows, negative pull-ups, assisted pull-ups, hollow log, things like that. So it is good for the upper body. Um, It's not much for swimming technique, but maybe it'll get me somewhere. I'm still not at a full pull-up, but I can see that I'm getting stronger. When I did assisted band pull-ups, which is what I did before I met Jenny McCall, um, I can do a lot more of them, and I can do them a lot more efficiently and easy. So I'm making progress. may take a little bit, but I'm making progress. So if you look into who might survive in an emergency, um, whether it's getting lost, shipwreck, being captive, Um, you know, being in an unfamiliar environment, there are a few things that most people have in common. And there's also a few experiences that people have when they lose their way. He described, he describes the general stages when a person gets lost. The first stage is when you denied, deny that you're, you're lost in the first place. Things aren't going to plan, but it's not um, a full-blown, I'm lost just yet. In the next stage, you kind of admit that, you know, okay, I am truly lost, and so now we got to do something about it. So you start becoming a little bit frantic and trying a bunch of different things. In the stir- third stage, when you've exhausted all your what you early early options that you can think of, and you're somewhat exhausted, you try, you try to piece things together um, where you are because um, you're, you're, you kind of backtrack a little bit and try to retrace your steps in your head. The fourth stage, you really, you know, you're, you're not being able to tr- retrace your steps and you're frantically, you know, going back and forth and, you know, different directions, so to speak, going in circles. And then in the final stage, you run out of options and you run out of energy. And now you have to start making a new map of where you are and defining yourself from that moment on. And he states that to survive, you must find yourself. Because if you find yourself, then you're really not lost. So how does this apply to plant-based nutrition? 
I think, first of all, it applies to our health in, in general. Um, it's hard to believe that all of a sudden we're not well. I've heard it over and over again in my practice where it's like, just yesterday I was perfectly fine, and then today, boom, something happened. Or he looked so good, and then he had a heart attack. Or I can't believe it happened to him. He, you know, everything was going so fine. Or he was out doing what he wanted, and then, boom, something happened, and people are shocked. So it's a little bit of a denial that either self or someone else has lost their way with their health, so to speak. And when we've had a health crisis... The first thing that may happen is that we start to try a bunch of different things to fix it right away. Maybe go to a specialist, go to the emergency room, maybe start reading on our own, but we throw everything that we know at it. And typically when the more opinions you get, the more, or I'm sorry, the the more you seek out, the, the more options that you start to get. So it becomes very confusing of where you actually are do this, do that, you should be paleo, you should eat oil, you shouldn't eat oil, you should eat nuts, you shouldn't eat nuts, you need a lot of protein, you don't need to need so much protein, you're not getting enough of this, you're not getting enough of that, you need to have a bypass, you need to have a stent, you don't need any of that, you need to do traditional chemo, you need to go to alternatives, you need to do both of them, it becomes very confusing. And perhaps then you stumble upon plant-based nutrition. And it's like, okay, I'll do this. And you read everything that you can and you're trying to find a new way, but it's very unfamiliar and you can become very lost in that process as well because you're having to start from square one. So people that have been cooks all their lives uh, have fed themselves one way or another all all their lives. It's a lot easier for them to transition to plant-based nutrition because they have a mental map of what, where their kitchen is and what spices are and the road to make something Italian or the road to make Irish cooking or the road to make Asian cooking. They have a map of what they actually need to do. People that have spent most of their life eating out or eating things in a box that, you know, mac and cheese, prepared pasta sauce, meals in a bag, you know, whatever kind of frozen food that you can get, Again, you know, fast food. Those people don't have much of a map or a roadmap of of where to start when all of a sudden they say, you know, you need to eat, you know, all these vegetables and fruit and you have to cut them up and prepare them and put in scale. It can be very much overwhelming on how they might ultimately survive. And then they start to do everything. Uh, Sometimes people go into plant-based nutrition, you know, I'm going to do it 100%. I'm going to be, you know, over the top and it becomes exhausting and things don't taste good and their friends doubt them and then they start to doubt themselves and they find themselves lost again and they have to start over. Sometimes it's easier just to give up and go back to what you know and back to the roadmap that you knew and go back to eating out fast food and, um, You know, the line is, it didn't work for me. Nothing works for me. I've tried them all. They don't work for me. But nine times out of 10, they didn't work because, again, you didn't have enough of a map and you got lost. We also have some automatic behaviors and emotional reactions when we get lost and or startled, such as if somebody comes up behind you and startles you and you jump. You're not thinking about who is actually in the house and who might come up behind you and cause you to be afraid because most of the time, the person that caused you to be afraid, you were in the same room with them two minutes ago. 
But for some reason, you jump and you scream, and then they scream, and, and it's like, how did that happen? And you feel stupid. They think you're stupid, and um, you go on. But turns out that the lower part of your brain, called the amygdala, is somewhat wired for our basic instincts. Um, if something happens, you know, you jump or you hide or you duck. Uh, it happens well beyond or well before you can actually look at something and it goes from your visual vision back to your visual cortex into your thinking brain and back out again to, to, to actually cause an action to occur. So they're basic instincts that, that happen to us. Same thing with nutrition. There are basic things that we revert back to without thinking so much that, you know, it's okay. It's just easier to go back to doing what we're, we did before and, and not question anything. Sometimes we feel stupid, but the reality of it is it was a stressful reaction and our amygdala, our amygdala, our lower brain acted before our thinking brain got a chance to process, wait a minute, I have coronary artery disease and eating bacon is probably not the best thing for me. It becomes more like I've got to get something to eat. I'm starving. Who cares? And that's how we, we function. A similar thing happened to me post-hurricane when my garage doors weren't working. Every day I go out of my garage. I go push the button. The garage door goes up. I back out. When the power was off, we had to manually put the garage doors up. And because it was warm... After, you know, we were up, we kind of put them up halfway so that we could get in and out without a whole lot of trouble or heavy doors rather than, you know, struggling to lift them up and down and up and down, just leave one or two of them up. So my garage door was partly up, but not all the way up. And it was just almost higher than my vehicle, but not quite. So without thinking, I got in my car and I backed right into the garage door and I felt so stupid. It's like, how could you be so dumb that you walk around, you get in your car and you back into the garage door? But it wasn't a matter of being so dumb and stupid and irresponsible. It was, a, it was an emotional reaction and a time that things were pretty stressful that I got in and I just reacted without, I saw light, the door was open, I backed up. So sometimes we do stupid things and we, we think we're really stupid because we're, we're not thinking and we're careless. But the reality of it is sometimes our actions and our amygdalas get ahead of our thinking brain and we go down a road that we wished we wouldn't have gone down. He concludes one chapter by saying, uh, and I'm going to just quote the sentence because I think it's great. You can also learn to turn around and see where you've been, which is a means of paying attention. If you come to the fork in the road, you can look back and find a cue, something different and something to remember. Perhaps talk about it like a song line. I'll, I'll paraphrase this part that he, he talked about. If you associate things with a song or you associate things along your path, it's easier to find your path. In, in conclusion, you don't have to be perfect. You can simply be better. And I, I think that that's a, you know, a pretty good... Uh, roadmap for plant-based nutrition. Don't try to be perfect, just try to be better. And looking where you've been helps you to go forward as opposed to, I don't think you have to scrap everything you've ever learned about nutrition or about cooking when you become plant-based. And I think it's much easier. And I know we as a family, were much more successful when we use the roadmap of how we cooked before 
and modified it to be more healthy, to be more plant-based, eliminating cooking with oil, keeping the same vegetables, adding another vegetable, modifying recipes such as Irish stew, taking out the meat, adding beans, um, potato soup, taking out the milk, adding, you know, a little miso, um, chili, taking out the, the meat, adding a different bean, continuing with the similar spices. So taking what's familiar and adding on to it is a lot easier than trying to forge a new path that's often very stressful and results in you going a bunch of different directions and ending up getting lost. The other thing that he talks about almost in all survival courses and in all survivals have survivors have is a positive mental attitude. Let's face it, if you don't want to change, it's not going to happen. You can't make somebody else change if they don't want to change. It's not going to happen. Humor is a great tool as well, um, even if it's a little bit off or colored humor, so to speak. Um, they talk about, you know, in survival uh, and in training, some of the humor is, you know, a little bit uh, blunt and, you know, might be taken out of context. But having humor associated with what you do, your mistakes, you know, things that go wrong in the kitchen. I think sometimes we get all frustra- flustered uh, when things don't go right. But, um, you know, accept that everybody's going to make a bad meal. Um, you know, I have a pumpkin bread uh, story that, you know, uh, I, I made this pumpkin bread that was more like a brick and weighed about five pounds. And Michael, it was Michael's first Thanksgiving here. And he didn't even really like pumpkin at all for the most part because he had bad experiences with pumpkin when he was growing up. And everybody else at the table realized that this pumpkin bread was just god-awful. And not only did he eat one piece, but he ate another piece. And it was very clear that, you know, he didn't like it, but he, he held on to it, man. He, 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 was, he was true to his word. He ate the pumpkin bread. He never said anything about it. And it was a long time before, you know, we just laugh about how bad that pumpkin bread was. And, and there are other things, you know, there are other meals that, you, can, you know, I've had go wrong. You know, um, sometimes things just happen, and it can be very frustrated. Sometimes you'll do it, you know, I've, I've done it two days in a row, and you think, geez, I'm losing my touch. Um, but you have to laugh about it and go on. And, and, you know, having a positive mental attitude about everything is is much easier than to get down that, that you know, it's not working. It is very frustrating when you make a dinner and, and you work hard on it and no one likes it. Um, I know that's a problem that a lot of people have that, They've changed to eating plant-based, but their family hasn't, and everybody poo-poos it every time. So every time they work to make something, people either make fun of it, or they don't eat it, or they make the face, so to speak. So um, again, it's easier to go back to something that you're good at and just modify it a little bit. And you don't have to tell the whole world that it's plant-based without oil. You just modify the recipe a little bit and let it go with that. He talked about when you're really deep lost and you've come, you know, you're exhausted and you've, you've kind of come to the fork in the road and you can either give up or go on. Having a reason for doing something, a reason for survival is key, uh, whether it's to see your family or, you know, achieve a goal or whatever it is. A sense of purpose extends life in any, any means, whether you have cancer, an illness, changing your ways uh, or, or a loss. Once you have a sense of purpose, you also need a plan. 
and a, a plan of action. And you can apply that by just having some meal plans. So you have some meals that are easy and some meals that you know might be uh, a little bit more complicated. But if you have the go-to meals or you at least have a plan about what you're going to do, where you're going to get these vegetables, what are a few things that you can cook? It's it's much easier to start than um, you know all of a sudden just trying to find your way, and it's easier to give up. You can also remember your successes, so things that went really well, and build on how you came to do that particular thing that went really well. Whether again, it could be a recipe or it even could be a race. What led you? So you have a map for the future. You can also use other people's successes. You know, I I look for recipes on Instagram. If something looks good, I go look at it closer. I might want to modify it and make it more my own. Or if somebody else has made something that tastes good or I've got something out um, when we're traveling, I want to go home and make it. Uh, It gives me ideas. It gives me motivation. When we travel, I like to go to restaurants that... Um, make things that, that I don't make so that I have an opportunity to learn something from a different cuisine or a, just a different way of putting things together or a different way of presenting things. So you can use other people and other experiences to also help you um, to have a positive mental outlook on what you're about to do. I'm motivated, or, or I'm, I'm, modi- I'm sorry, I'm motivated um, by people that I interview, um, people like Jenny McCall that are doing a pull-up or people that are running long distances like Harvey or, 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 you know, a number of people that are accomplishing great things to try to figure out or emulate some of the things they're doing to help me achieve and make myself better. And so you can use their successes and their positivity to pull you forward a little bit. So if you're wandering around in a state of confusion and you're not sure whether you're going to be paleo, keto, plant-based, vegan, um, the first thing is to admit you're lost. And I think the quicker the take-home message is the quicker you admit that you're lost, the quicker then you can get a game plan of what to do from that time forward. The other thing is while you're making that game plan or while you're making the changes, make a mental map of what went well and what didn't go well so you have something to fall back on. It's always better if you know where you are, then you're not lost and you can modify your direction. But if you're really lost, then again, it comes time to sit, stop uh, in, in medical terms, you know, and during residency, it, it was a time when there was a, an emergency, stop, take your own pulse first. Um, it was a way of gathering, quieting the mind um, before embarking on an emergency situation. So I urge you that, you know, don't hesitate to ask for directions or look to others for a roadmap. Um And I I think that uh, that can only be good. Again, you can always go over to drdelaney.com and sign up for our newsletter. And we send out a monthly map of a recipe and um, things that are going on in the practice um, and some ideas. Our practice has monthly um, newsletters as well, as well as wellness challenges and uh, a variety of other things on our website to help people get a roadmap to a better health. So check check the website out at drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and you can learn more about uh, how we help people get unlost some of the times. 
When people have a diagnosis of cancer or an illness, they become a patient very quickly. And they become a patient in the sense that their autonomy is sometimes taken away and they're told what to do. You're going to start chemotherapy now. You're going to start radiation therapy now. We're going to do your bypass tomorrow. Um, You start physical therapy here and you take these medications and you don't have a whole lot of say in what's going on. And and that's really uh, a huge downfall in the traditional practice of medicine that we take people's autonomy away and assume that they can't help themselves. They're completely dependent on us. I think that is bad for everyone involved um, because all hope is now directed towards the people directing therapy and your life is somewhat in their hands or your fate is out of your control, so to speak. Um, There can be a loss of of control or a loss of why this even happened to you. Um, You know, were you responsible in any ways? How can you prevent it from reoccurring? So one, a study that just came out uh, that was performed or uh, published in the Journal of American College of Cardiology, I think is somewhat of a no brainer, but I think it's very important to realize that as a patient, you're still in control of your own health and you, there's still a whole lot you can do to help yourself, maybe even more than the therapies you're being offered at least as much. And if, what you do on your own isn't better, at least it will support the therapies that you'll be giving. So one is exercise. Um, and this study looked at optimal, optimal timing of physical exercise intervention to improve cardiorespiratory fitness during or after chemotherapy. And, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, and the first thing that goes is usually exercise. Hurricane came, haven't been walking. You know, it's raining outside, too cold, haven't been walking. Um, got a cold, quit walking, fall, you know, and then you fall off your exercise program and don't feel well, quit doing this. And, um, you know, it can be months or, or years or never picking it back up. But this study actually looked at the timing of exercise. It was a 24 week exercise um, intervention. And they either started during chemotherapy or after chemotherapy. And they looked at their VO2 max one year after, um, immediately and then one year after intervention. And they looked at some other uh, things such as, you know, quality of life, fatigue, activity, uh, and muscle fitness. And, you know, what you might expect is the people that started their exercise program during chemotherapy had a less of decline in their VO2 Max, they had less decline in muscle strength. Um, and, you know, even if there were times that they couldn't do the exercise, it's still very much helped by, you know, continuing to have a training program during their chemotherapy. And these patients had breast, colorectal, testicular cancer, and lymphoma. Um, so, you know, again, I think that you know, we exercise can be the first thing to go or an exercise program. Uh, even, you know, again, you know, I'll give myself the example running, uh, you know, something I do almost every day. Um, 
But when I had COVID, I didn't run for, you know, a week. And it became like I didn't run. And I had to kind of wake up and say, okay, it's time to go run um, and go out and see what I can do. And, you know, and start the rehab back to the fitness level I had before I stopped. A lot of times when people are injured, uh, hurt their back, hurt their leg, they don't do anything. And they can, you know, a couple days not moving can result in significant muscle loss. And the older you are, the more muscle loss you have in the shorter period of time, the harder it is to get back, the more stiffness. Um, I saw a 90-plus-year-old lady today in the office, and she had a fall during Ian. She didn't break anything, but it slowed her down. And just not doing anything, she was stiff and had discomfort, and it became she became fearful of it because she thought that this was the beginning of the end because she had pain when she moved. But the reality of it is it was just that she had stiffness because she wasn't moving, because she wasn't doing her usual activities because of the hurricane. Um, so, you know, it is important to keep some sort of, you may not be able to do what workout you did, but find out some, find something that you can do that keeps you moving, even if it's range of motion, walking, you know, maintaining of a certain amount of steps uh, that can keep your, your fitness level up uh, in the, you know, in, in or during, you know, a, a therapy. It used to be that we put people to bed after a heart attack and they were in bed for two weeks and then they did very little and then they would walk down the hall and then we treated them like they were going to explode. You know, now up, get you know, and get at it, physical therapy right away, walking right away. You know, the next day people after a bypass are up and we're walking in the halls. Same thing with, you know, after any other surgery, get people up and walking. It decreases uh, the risk of pulmonary embolus. It, embolism. It decreases uh, muscle loss and bone loss. It improves respiratory function, decreases pneumonia. So in any mammal, uh, in, in humans, or just as much as any other animal, it's so important to keep moving and keeping all the parts moving, not just the ones you use on a regular basis, but, you know, uh, shoulders, hips, again, are, are extremely important. Feet are extremely important to kind of go through those those checklists every day to, to keep moving. A couple podcasts ago, I described atrial fibrillation and potential causes, and one of the potential causes is being overweight. Um, and there was a study published, um, again, that showed a higher body mass index is tied to earlier atrial fibrillation in young men. It's something you don't think about in young people. But when they, they looked at um, uh, young men starting with a mean age of 18, uh, and they followed them over time, the higher the body mass index, especially once they became obese at a young age, was associated with a large increase in atrial fibrillation as they got older and complications of atrial fibrillation such as stroke um, and, and, and deteriorating heart function. Most of the time, Obesity doesn't occur in isolation. Um, people tend to have a poor diet. They're eating more fast food, eating a higher salt diet because of their size. They probably have a low physical activity. Um, again, because of their diet, they may have high blood pressure, diabetes. They may smoke. Cholesterol is elevated. Being overweight is also associated with sleep apnea, which also increases the risk of atrial fibrillation. So there are things we don't think about when people are young. We assume that young people are 
um, immortal when it comes to or you know or they, it, they bad things can't happen to them until they're much older but how people are at a young age very much predicts what's going to happen to them in the future we know from previous studies that women that are um, that have preeclampsia, that have hypertension or diabetes during their pregnancy or have a much higher incidence of cardiovascular disease later in life. But we just push it under the table. You know, we don't address it. And there are more and more young people, especially young men. I, you know, I, I, I skip right ahead to football players. And when you watch college football and these linemen, they're well over 300 pounds. And, you know, it's they're... Um, they're praised for being the bigger, you know, they always on TV, you know, this guy, this team has the biggest, you know, guard of any team and he's, you know, six foot six and 400 pounds or, um, you know, what happens to these people when they quit playing football? They, and, and they truly, they, a lot of them have disease at a young age. Uh, some of them have disease already when they're playing sports, uh, but as soon as they stop, it gets much worse. Um, and the health risks, you know, are there, but it's not just athletes. Um, you know, it's, it's across the board and it's, it's what we're eating and what we're saying is, you know, great as far as eating all this fast food and, you know, this, this junky stuff. So, um, again, it's really important to get these things under control at an early age because it's much harder to reverse things when you're down, down the road with a disease than it is to get things under control. Um, you know, if I had the answer why people waited till something really bad happened to them before they made a change, I guess they're not really lost enough, so to speak. People don't realize they're lost is perhaps that's the, the, um, you know, the message here, um, realizing that you're lost and your health is deteriorating and you're turning in all the wrong directions. It's, it's time to make a different plan. And the last study um, that I came up was um, marijuana, methamphetamine, cocaine, opiates, all linked to um, atrial fibrillation and other cardiac arrhythmias. Probably a no-brainer um, either. I think some people might be surprised that marijuana, although it didn't have the uh, rhythm problems quite to the degree as methamphetamines did, um, still was a significant in risk increased risk for atrial fibrillation, uh, most likely due to the lung toxicity, change in in intravascular pressures, change in pulmonary pressures, um, and the toxins associated with it. Um, There's also been shown to have an increased risk of stroke in people that are young and use marijuana. So, you know, it's becoming a drug that um, people tout as having all kinds of medical benefits And I think because it's a plant and it's not a pharmaceutical manufactured, people think that there are all these benefits, but no side effects. But it is a chemical. And all chemicals, when entering the chemical reaction of the body, have an opposing effect. Nothing happens in isolation. And so um, maybe some of the things that are positive are much outweighed, again, if the person comes out with bad health in the end. Um, the opiate problem in, in this country is, is huge. Um, it's one of those things that doesn't, can't happen to me, so to speak. Um, we think of opiates being inner city, uh, 
people that are poor, um, but it really is a problem of suburbia, um, teenagers that, that get their wisdom teeth out, that are given a couple Oxycontin or Percocets or knee surgeries for, you know, cleaning up a little bit of a joint, getting a, um, you know, uh, a cup, some opiates post-operatively. These are, these are the exact ways that, that people start to get uh, addicted to these certain things. And, and the addiction itself is a huge problem. Um, I remember in training seeing people come in, you know, in their 30s with cocaine and a, an acute myocardial infarction. So young people don't, again, think they're invincible, uh, that bad things can't happen. But again, what we do with chemicals tends to backfire and, again, continue on in our past to cause problems later on down the line. So, you know, if, if you can just, you know, remember that quick fixes, um, you know, things that, uh, you know, muscle relaxers, a little low-dose narcotic, things that might seem benign, I'm just having one or two, always have the potential to have huge comp- consequences. Um, and, you know, even things as simple as ibuprofen and Motrin, I have people stay away from. It increases your risk of tendon injury. It increases your risk of hyponatremia, which can cause, you know, sudden death with brain, uh, you know, brain swelling. It can cause bleeding in the gut. It can cause kidney failure. So it, it seems like it's benign. It's sold on the shelf in the grocery store. But all of these medications, while take pain away greatly, have side effects on the back end that can cause tremendous amount of problems and, you know, in addition, decrease one's ability to think logically and possibly decrease one's ability to become unlost or to find your way. So uh, it's yet another way people can become lost very quickly and then they don't have the ability to reason and rationalize how to find their way out of a bad situation. So if I could summarize getting lost in, in this podcast, you know, I think it comes from identifying that, that you might be lost, having a positive mental attitude to try to, to, to find your path, keeping track of and making mental notes as you go on. And, you know, the, I didn't touch in the book, but doing hard things and, and being stressed and learning, learning how to cope in situations that are uncomfortable and learning how to cope obviously without the aid of pharmaceuticals is going to better suit you to be able to come up with a plan should something happen and you need to get unlost. So um, again, uh, I'll put a link to the show note of the book and those studies that you can take a peek at. Um, Thanks for listening. As always, you can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com, J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. Next week, I have two special guests um, that we're going to talk about some success stories with running. So I hope you'll tune in. Share the podcast with your friend. Please, please do. And uh, share it on social media. Love to hear from anybody. Um, And uh, thanks for listening.